Well, hey guys, welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm super excited to dive in. We're talking a lot about culture today and kind of defining what culture is. But before that, I always want to highlight two things that I think will be super valuable. It's going to be in the show notes, one of them being crossover. If you're looking for a local church, maybe you just moved, maybe you're looking for a new community to get plugged into, crossover is going to be the solution for you. It's in the show notes. You'll be able to fill out a form on my landing page and in literally in real time, you get connected to a local church. I think it's super cool. Yeah, within 24 hours, you'll you'll be connected to a church. They'll reach out to you. And the other thing is just some resources that I'll I'll put in the show notes. One of them being, it'll be able to Opus. So what Opus is, is it actually cuts up short form content for you. You just copy and paste YouTube videos. There's some courses from Sweb. He's been on our podcast multiple times. I think he's brilliant if you're looking to get a little bit better. But as, as we jump in today, I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about culture, how to, how to create culture curators or creators. I think right now we hear things that might not actually create culture or might not even be able to define culture. I think that's honestly just a word that we use in the church or in leadership, but we don't actually bring definitions to it. So today we're going to be jumping into five specific things that we'll be able to help you bring some insight to your leadership, where you're currently at, where you're going. So as we jump in, we just can't say things right without bringing clarity. The, this observation starts in a specific target audience. Like this is this podcast, this episode is for specific people because this the specific people I'm about to say are the people that actually are going to be able to create change in the, the ripple effect of culture, of of behaviors. And we'll kind of go into that in a bit. But this this target audience of this episode, who I'm talking to is the staff. Everything starts in that staff room in your staff meetings as a lead pastor, as a lead executive, as a CEO, as the entrepreneur, whoever you are, if you're the leader, it starts with you. And if we can't gather this information, apply it in that staff room, it's going to be a really hard time getting your team, getting your the new leaders that you just onboarded to follow along and to understand this. So really, it starts in the staff room. How ridiculous is that we expect the pastors and leaders to lead themselves when they're the ones taking the weight of the ministry. That's something that I wrote down that I think before we jump into this, this bigger picture of culture, I, I've just, I've, I've observed and I've had a lot of conversations with pastors, with leaders, with staff members of a church. And I understand that we all should be self-feeders, that we should not wait for somebody else to read our Bible for us because nobody will. Not going to wait for someone else to pray for me because nobody else will. But the reality is, if you are in ministry, you should have a pastor or you, and they might not have the title of pastor. They not might not be preaching every weekend, but they have a pastor's heart and a pastor's calling, which means that they're discipling you. They're making you more like Jesus. They're modeling what it looks like. And to kind of go into that, I guess I've, I've witnessed a lot of lonely people in ministry. And I think loneliness is a choice. We can always find community, but if you are a lead pastor, this is a, not a warning to you because you can do whatever you want. What I'm saying is the people in your ministry, in your church, will not stay if they are not pastored. Like that, I feel like that's common sense, right? Like that is literally what we're supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be living in the grace that God's called us to do, which is pastor and shepherd his people. In no way, shape, or form is this a business. The church is not a business. I get 
there are principles and systems that will that will equate to the business world, but it is not a business. The church is not a business because what is a business? It's about capital gain. The church is not about capital gain. The, the, the church is about the people. The church is about serving the people, the, the lost, the lonely, the hurting, the broken, and the Christian who is, loves Jesus and has a great, healthy marriage, but just needs a pastor. Every pastor needs a pastor. Every leader needs a pastor. Every person who hasn't even been saved needs a pastor. We all need a pastor. AKA, if you are in a staff position and your pastor is not leading you, and leading you does not look like you just walking in their office at random times. Hey, hey, pastor, can I have a minute? That's not it. Like we need to be more intentional as leaders. And it's ridiculous to even say that. But the reality is there are people right now who are not being led and they're being shamed and gaslighted to think that it's their fault for not being led. And maybe it is, right? Like there are, there are reasons and stuff going on. I understand that. But the reality is there are people who need pastored and shepherded and loved and intentionality starts with you like you need to be intentional so put it on their calendar and say hey we're going to go get coffee every week from eight to nine and we're going to talk we're just going to have a pastoral conversation this is who we are this is our staff and it starts with you so that was a quick highlight and just an observation that i've been making that i've been seeing anyways from having conversations with pastors across our country and the globe so Kind of jumping into creating culture carriers, because that's what this episode is going to be about, is how do, how do we create culture carriers? And I think, again, culture has kind of been a buzzword, but culture is simply behaviors. Like it's, a, it's a, an agreed upon behaviors that the leader has set. And nobody else can set that for you. And what I've seen, anyways, there's, there's multiple ways to set culture. And I, and I would say that these aren't the ways to set culture, but they are ideas and ways to apply to think about how to set culture, if that makes sense. It's a second layer deeper to be able to help you get to the actual problems that I'm assuming are happening. So culture can either happen by default or design. We've heard that a thousand times. And to be frank, I'm kind of annoyed and upset that everyone just uses the same content. Like let's start creating our own content. Or if you're copying content, let's just give credit. How about that? So culture is behavior. We got to that level. So what you can do is your culture should always mimic your neighborhood or your city and your lead pastor. So your lead pastor might not be from the city you're in, but that city will always mimic the culture of the church and vice versa because it's supposed to be integrated into that community. So these are five things that I believe are going to be really helpful for you, even if you're leading a digital content team of two people. Culture matters and culture is the lifeblood of your team. And if you're not constantly bring reassurance to these things you're probably not living in the culture you want to see i'll just say that so one the big caveat to this as we as we go into these five is this statement and i've said this multiple times in our on our podcast using this line people won't do this or people won't carry the culture that i am embodying or people won't tithe people won't and the reality is no we haven't led them to do so so Anytime you hear a leader saying, people won't do this, you need to instantly go, no, 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 we haven't led them to. Because a leader takes ownership. A leader says, hey, this is my responsibility. I am the leader. Nobody else is going to lead if it's not me. So stop saying they won't do it. They just haven't been led to. And when people offer themselves, it's a leadership problem, right? Then when they won't offer themselves and when they won't say yes. So jumping in number one, 
be what you want to see. Like we're going to start from you. The lead, everything rises and falls in leadership. That's John Maxwell. It's not Josh Andrew. That's John Maxwell. So be what you want to see as leaders. We have to go first. You as a leader, you have to go first. Everything that you want embodied in your culture, you should already be actively doing. You want a generous church? You should probably be the most generous person. You want a consistent team? Be consistent. We, we always expect people to live at the, the per perfect example of us versus just them. Like, hey, but it starts with me. I'm a leader. It starts with me. This organization, everything goes back and points to the, the primary leader. So you want to be a generous church? Be generous. You want to be a consistent team? Be a consistent person. And this always goes back to your values as an organization. Do you know your values? Do you have values? Are the values in your church talked about consistently around your team? These things are super important. No one in your ministry will be changed by your teaching. Okay. They won't be, they won't be changed by your teaching, your leadership sessions, your team rallies, your podcast episodes. None of that will be life altering. Again, it's good resources and it's good things that I think you should do, but they will be changed by how it's modeled. So, it starts with you and you need to have values that you can go back to. Put them on an external link on your website that nobody else can see unless they're a part of the church. Put it on a PDF and have it in the drive that you guys use. Whatever it is, every person serving should see the values literally with their eyes, but then they should see the values being modeled by you and your team. But it always starts with you. So be what you want to see. If you want a generous church, be generous. If you want a kind team you want people to not be rude probably shouldn't be rude right i feel like that's super common sense but again it's not because we all embody this sometimes where we have expectations for somebody but we're not actually living in it as well so and that's not to say that you don't have bad days or they don't have bad days but you gotta you gotta be what you want to see and that it is what it is number two clarify roles many times where we want a specific behavior corporately culture to happen, but there's no clarity in what we want people to do. I've been, I've walked into churches and I've seen people with the badges on a Sunday and they don't know what they're doing. They might be holding a sign, but they don't know what they're doing. You gotta, you gotta clarify what people are doing and clarify what behaviors you want them to be. Like, hey, in this context, you're serving in kids and you're at a check-in, you need to have the biggest smile on your face on the planet. And if you're having a bad day, understand that. Let's pray together. Let's ask that the joy of the Lord be your strength today and that God would be with you. Like we got to clarify rules. It'd be crystal clear. The episode right before I put out this one, we talked about getting team and putting on position descriptions and making sure that they know and see exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And they commit to it, a verbal yes, and sign a paper, sign a document saying, hey, this is what I'm committing to. So does your team feel empowered to challenge their peers on them not leading to that standard? So if you clarify the rules, you did your job of clarification, what you should see is peer level conversations happening that are challenging one another to be the standard. And this takes time, right? You need to be able to express to them, hey, you should be able to challenge your peer on the culture that we've all said yes to. So be, be aware of the gifts, right? So as somebody who's super aggressive and direct, like myself, you should give them permission. Hey, if you see somebody out of line or they're showing up late, you need to have a conversation with them. And that goes into the next point, and we won't jump into it right away, but we got to be aware of people's gifts. Like awareness of ourselves and our team is going to be what will change and alter a team. 
the health of the team, the growth of the team, permission to lead starts with you giving that to them. But then again, leaders don't need permission to lead. So you got to be aware of the gifts. Like I always, I always say the Enneagram seven, the loud guy in the room is kind of on everybody's nerves. That's okay. But we need to give them permission to live in what God has created them to be. They've created, God's created them to be the life of the party. So let's put them up front. Let's put them in the front of the service. They're jumping up and down. They're having fun. If that's a culture that you want replicated, let's do it. So we need to clarify roles. You need to bring clarity to exactly the type of church you want to see, the type of team you want to be if you're a business, the type of people we're going to be when we walk in the door. If you walk in the door, let's have a little expectation in our heart. Let's be prayed up. Let's be ready to go on a Sunday. So the number three is change the confrontation connotation. We kind of, I kind of hinted at it right before this, but we need to give people permission to be confrontational. And it is, it should not be just you, by the way. If you are the only person who is confronting people, you're the bad guy. And as the leader, as the primary voice of the organization, you should not always be the bad guy. Really, that should be the, the second in line for whoever your, your side person is, not your wife or your husband, but the, the people that are in second line on that org chart that you have, hopefully, they should, they should really take the weight of that. And you should put that on them. Hey, you signed up for this. You are the chief culture officer on a Sunday. If you see somebody out of line, honestly, this has been my role a lot of times in the church in any of our roles. I'm always the person who is very self-aware of the culture in the room. And when culture is not being embodied, it has been my responsibility outside of a position description to take care of the culture. So if somebody's not in their seat at time, I'm going to have a conversation with them, regardless if we're peers, regardless if they're above me, that doesn't matter. It's our culture and it's our, it's our end goal of getting people to experience Jesus in a service. So we're willing to have confrontation. So confrontation should be normal. Like this should be modeled. It should be a model at a staff meeting. It should be modeled in phone calls. It should be modeled in the hallways, not in front of guests, obviously, or not in front of the person who's been serving one week. She probably should not do that. But confrontation should be normal. It should be encouraged. It should be celebrated by you. So when it happens, allow it to happen. Allow it to be done correctly. And if you need to jump in and say, hey, that's not, that's a little too much. We're not going to be aggressive, but we can have a, an adult conversation about what's going on. But you need to celebrate that. So right when it gets done, there's a conflict resolution, obviously. There's somebody who they come to agreement. We're all in agreement. Take a moment, highlight what just happened in the service or in the experience or in the, in the meeting and highlight it. Say, Guys, this is what family does. This is what a team does. We bring up problems. We have a conversation. We bring a solution because what I'm a part of is bigger than the part I play. You've heard that a thousand times from churches, but what, what you really are a part of is bigger than the part you play. You, you are a part of something that God is doing just as much as your local church. It is not the big picture, but it is a picture. It is a part of the picture. So does your... Does your team feel responsible on a Sunday to take ownership of culture, of, of the things that you're seeing? So remember when, this is a good illustration here. Remember when the coach stopped talking to you in sports? That's, that's a big problem, right? Like you're like, what did I do? What's going on? I'm not playing anymore. The coach isn't talking to me. That's a problem. That's yikes, right? Like you don't want to be the guy who's not being talked to by the coach. Similar confrontation your leader or the person who you're friends with, you're not, there's something going on, there's a disconnect of talking, 
that's a big that's a big problem. It's a big red flag. And as a leader, you need to be self-aware of the people not talking that used to. And there's like a weird disconnect and just bring it out. Like, hey, there's there's no secrets here. I feel like there's tension in the room. Should we talk about it? Like, what's going on here? Everyone go around. And if you don't know, maybe try to get to the point of understanding what's going on in the room. So confrontation should have an expiration. In my opinion, this is what I would advise. Anything that has to do with culture, so the behaviors of the organization, the things that you all agreed upon, I'd give it 24 hours max. And if it's a pro, if it's like a eight out of 10, you need to probably see them in person. Like it should be an in-person, hey, we're meeting, please be here. If it's like a, I don't know, it's not that big of a deal, but it is still culture. Like it is a big deal because it is the thing that you all are agree upon. I understand that, but we understand that there's levels. There's levels to this. And, but again, 24 hours, if it has anything to do with culture, if it has anything to do with people, if it has anything to do with disrespect, if it has anything to do with the other side of it, you're calling somebody to encourage them. 24 hours. Don't wait. Because in a week, the people who are upset won't have the solutions that you're probably hunting to find. Because a, an upset person is somebody who's willing to go places that most people won't to find solutions. And that's what we're trying to do. So if you can't confront, you won't last. I'm just going to say that. If you don't have confidence in yourself to say, I have to do this. Like confrontation is a part of being a leader. Confrontation is part of being a business owner. Confrontation says, I care more about the future of this person and the future of this organization than our current feelings. If you want to be alone, don't confront people. And if you want an ineffective organization, don't confront people. If you, can't if you cannot confront, you will not last in leadership or you will be alone by yourself. This is the last thing I'll say with this. You get what you tolerate. You get what you tolerate. If you want to tolerate things, just be okay with that being replicated in 20 people and 100 people. The things that you highlight and you don't see change, there needs to be action steps and you need to be the person to give them clarity of, hey, this is what we agreed upon. This is what you said yes to, aka these are the things you and I are going to work on continuing to grow. So confrontation you need to change the connotation on it. It's a great thing. It's a positive thing. We should do it. I was laughing with a friend last night at Buffalo Wild Wings. Shout out. They're not a sponsor, but I love them. Every Thursday, buy one, get one. But him and I were talking about the different ways couples argue or the couples have confrontation. And the reality is an argument with the solution is great. Like, let's get to the, let's get to the problem. Let's get to the thing that we're actually thinking. Because most of the time when you initiate a question or a conversation towards somebody about uh, confrontation. It's not actually that. It's always it's usually like second or third layers. Like they just upset me. Well, let's actually dive deeper. Like what does that actually mean? So go a little level deeper. The last three here get insanely specific. Nothing just happens, by the way. Nothing happens in church. Nothing just happens in organization. Nothing happens. You need to coach every single moment until people understand and give them permission to ask a thousand questions. Allow your team to see what you see. They need to see what you see because without that clarity and without being insanely specific, like as specific as you can possibly be about the service flow, about the type of people we're going to be, like, hey, we're going to be generous. Okay, what does that mean? When you go out to dinner, you will tip 20 to 30%. It is what it is. And if you can't abide by that, that's okay. Probably not the best case scenario for you then to be in this role because we're going to be generous and we're not just going to say, 
the word generous and have no definition to it. This is exactly what that means in our context. You will give a hundred high fives if you're in a hello team. And that's not, and again, that's might be a little extreme, but you get what I'm saying. You need to be insanely specific. You need to coach every single moment, coach every single thing that you want in your culture and in the behaviors of your organization. Worship and preaching and services should be birthed out of a prayer life. I'll just say that. Your worship and preaching should be coached, right? If you're listening to this and you are coaching communicators, coaching worship leaders, every single piece of that moment that you don't speak to and you don't give them permission to be themselves and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does, we're actually doing them a disservice and they're not leading to the capabilities that they should be. It's not about being a micromanager because micromanagers are a problem. They're annoying. I cannot be led by a micromanager. I think it's annoying to like, dude, give me the space I need to lead and to make decisions and to be the person God's created me to be. That is different. Micromanaging and being specific are very different things. Micromanaging, you're actually making it about yourself and making about the things that you're seeing. So that's why I'm saying you need to teach them to see what you see. So in a, in a worship moment, let's just say hypothetically, this is an example. The worship leader, the worship leader is leading and there's the silent moment and they're supposed to be doing a culture moment. They're supposed to be speaking to the room about why we worship. They're shaping their room. They're helping people see Jesus in a beautiful way. But they start rambling and there's a two minute timeline. We're like, dude, like, yeah, we gave you two minutes. Now you're like going five to seven. Now you're just preaching. We don't need you to preach. We have a preacher coming up in like 10 minutes. What you should do in that moment is not right when they get done, go up and rip their butt. That's not okay, right? That's bad. You're, you're hitting them in a vulnerable moment. Okay, they're not actually going to be receptive. But like I said, confrontation has an expiration. What you should do, get the service done, go to lunch with your wife or your spouse. Right after that, give them a phone call. Hey, man, just wanted to talk through the service with you. How do you think it went? Give them permission to talk through the service. Yeah, I kind of botched that moment, man. I, I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't be sorry. I love that you're aware of it. What, what should we do to make sure that the timeline shouldn't happen? Should we have something in the in-ear monitors to tell you, hey, dude, time's up? Like, whatever it is, we want to make sure that people after that confrontation feel great about themselves. That's the test to see if you're actually good at confrontation and challenging somebody is at the end, do they think more about themselves and how great they are or how bad and annoying you are? So. Be insanely specific. Again, worship and preaching and services should be birthed out of your prayer life. I'm so sick of JV preachers, aka they're copying somebody else. They're like copycat. They're trying to sound like somebody they're not. They're trying to lift an experience. And what, what that is, it's a lack of self-awareness of the room. I was just talking to somebody yesterday morning about like, how do, how do we know what's going on in the room? How do we sense what's going on in the room? And I don't honestly know if that's can be taught to the level of what it should be. And in my experience, just being in the room consistently, being around people who think higher than I do about the service, you'd be able to tend to understand the culture and the environment of the room. So if a room is flat, aka you look, you can look around, you can observe people in worship. There's like two people raising their hands. What the problem is, is the worship leaders not leading worship, obviously, but it might just be a flat room. The room might be flat, right? And that's not our responsibility at times. There's sometimes where the room's just flat. It might just be people are tired. There's external factors and there's internal factors, right? And what we can do though, is we can only control the things that we did or that we can take responsibility of the things that we might have not done. 
So as a worship leader, as a lead pastor, as a youth pastor, being aware of the room says more about the level of discernment you have, the, the time you're spending with Jesus. And, and again, like I said, it's the stuff that can't really be taught sometimes. I think it might just be caught, but it also might just be a gift, right? A, the level of discernment. God gives gifts. He loves to give gifts to people. And if you're called to be a leader in the church, you, I guarantee you have a level of awareness that you might not have just been given permission to do so. So be aware of the room. It's kind of a long random tangent, but be aware of what's going on in the room. The last thing I'll say about get insanely specific is, does your team pray together? Like a church organization, a church staff that does not pray together scares me, to be honest, because what, what is our goal? Like the level of health in your church can be always pointed back to the level of intentionality you have in your prayer. On Sunday services, does your church pray together? And what, what I can't stand or what my personal preference is as a leader, I don't want one person praying. Like the person on stage should not be the only one praying because what you're actually designing in people's brain is I don't need to pray for myself. That guy's going to pray for me. But guess what? On Tuesday, when they're about to watch something they're not supposed to, if they're about to drink something they're not supposed to, if they're about to look at something, like I said, they're not gonna, you're not going to be there to pray for. You need to teach people how to pray. Jesus literally said, this is how you should pray. He didn't pray for him, right? Again, he did not. He didn't pray for him. He taught them how to pray because his disciples asked him, how should we pray? People in your church need to learn how to pray by themselves. They don't need you to pray for them. So how do you do this practically? Get them to pray. Teach that moment well. Again, it starts in the staff room. Hey, we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to pray. Not one person going to pray. We're all going to pray together. Mimic that in a leadership night. Hey, guys, I want to introduce you to a, a way that we should pray corporately. We're all going to pray together because your prayers matter just as much as I, because I have a microphone doesn't mean that my prayers are more impactful than yours. So pray together, please. All right, jumping into the last two, praise. Find someone who's already doing what you want mimicked and encourage them first privately and then publicly. Literally to the details, everything you celebrate gets repeated. If you don't want a positive culture to be encouraged and to be multiplied in your church, don't praise people. Don't give them affirmation because what you celebrate privately and publicly will always be replicated in your culture. CEO, chief encouragement officer, you should encourage everyone you see and everything you see. If somebody shows up five minutes early, celebrate that. If somebody comes in with a joy in their heart, you can see it on their face radiating, celebrate that. If somebody's being passionate in worship, celebrate that in Slack or the communication channel you use. Whatever, what you celebrate will get repeated and what you tolerate will also get repeated. Like I said earlier, now what you tolerate, and this is a lot, right? This is a lot. You can't really break down how to change and alter a culture and behaviors in 30 minutes. I understand that. These are just some things that I've observed that I think are super important. So praise goes a long way. Celebrate people publicly. It'll make them feel like a million dollars. And again, it'll be replicated, not because this is the manipulative side that we're not going to do. We're not going to praise people publicly to get people to want to be praised. That's unhealthy because what ends up happening is people chase affirmation. They don't chase what they actually should be doing. The pure intention of serving with a good attitude. So don't be that guy. Don't be the manipulator. Be the person who encourages and understands that what I celebrate will be repeated. Last thing. And then we'll kind of give a highlight here. Never stop talking about it. 
Just because your church has been around for 60 years does not mean you should stop talking about the things that you see and on the positive side and the negative side. Remind people who they are and who they're not. Every coffee you get with a one-on-one with person, because we learned 30 minutes ago that a pastor who doesn't lead a sheep is not a pastor. You need to encourage people and tell them who they are. That, that is prophecy, right? That is what we should be doing in the kingdom of God is speaking into people, telling them who they are and who they're not. That's our, that's our responsibility and mandate as leaders. Remove yourself from the church context. You're leading a team. You maybe have five people on your team and they're all sales reps. Remind them who they are when they pick up the phones and call people and remind them who they're not. Never stop talking about culture. Never stop, stop talking about values the shared values we all said yes to, never, every moment you have with more than probably two to three people, there should be some point in that staff meeting, in that leadership meeting, in that service flow, whatever, that something around your values is highlighted. So when you're giving your generosity talk, the offering message at the beginning of service, the end of service, hey, we're a generous church. Church, you're so generous. I want to thank you so much for being the most generous people on the planet. Thank you so much. What you're doing right there is you're telling them who they are. And there might be people in that room who don't give and they're like, I'm not generous. What you're doing is speaking to that potential and the truth in them. Because that's our responsibility is to speak the truth of God into people. Not so much so that they just you beat it over their head. But truth unravels things that opinions cannot. I'll say that. The truths of God can unravel. Again, it's sharper than a double-edged sword to divide bone and marrow. The truth of God cuts things, cuts through areas in people's hearts that we cannot. So never stop talking about it. I want to highlight these and then we'll be done for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you can, hit the subscribe button on YouTube. We're growing a lot on there. Thank you so much for watching. It means the world to me on the podcast. Thank you so much again. It means the world to me. I love, love, love doing this so much. I have incredible guests coming up and then we're just going to have conversations, you and I. So number one, be what you want to see. If you want someone to do something, you better be doing it. Number two, clarify roles. Do people know what they're supposed to be doing? And then you might say, yeah, Josh, of course. Well, have you reassured that? Is it on paper? Have they agreed upon it? Because what's in your head is not in your mouth and people can't read your mind. And if they can, that's weird. Number three, change the confrontation connotation. Confrontation should be healthy. It should be encouraged. It should be modeled the correct way. We're not going to get in fist fights. That's not healthy. Number four, get insanely specific. Do people understand what they're supposed to be doing? And is it very specific? Nothing just happens in church. You can't just imagine a church. You have to build a church. Number five, praise. Find someone who's already doing what you want and publicly and privately encourage them. And six, never stop talking about it. It should be on the tongue of your mouth because it's something that you should be living already. So those are how, in my opinion, a couple ideas that you can replicate into your culture and things and statements to think about to be able to help you as a leader. Thank you so much for listening to this. Seriously, it means the world to me. It's so much fun being with you and building a community online. Again, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.